This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you. Many years ago, when my kids were little, I planned a summer event for them and for their friends that I called the Splash Bash. My idea was that the whole yard would be filled with different ways to play in water. I loved imagining what would delight them and then bringing it all together. So I pulled out all of our little pools and then I drove around to all my friends and picked up all their little pools and started setting up the yard. I set a little pool up and I put one of those little plastic slides in it so they could slide down that. I set up a water slide. I put together like a little trio of pools so they could like jump around in there. And then there was a bigger like inflatable pool that we filled with water and there were snacks. We had grilled hot dogs. We had frozen chocolate covered bananas and the piece de resistance was goldfish but not the crunchy cheddar kind of goldfish, live goldfish. It was delightful to see their faces when they looked into the large pool and they realized there were fish in there. Their faces lit up and we handed each of them a little net. The afternoon was filled with shrieks of delight and laughter. And then it was filled with other kinds of shrieks. Two little boys, unimpressed by the planned activities, were off to the side, yanking each other's pacifiers out of the mouth and then dropping them down in the sewer. So in the midst of this incredible day that I had planned, there was arguing and fighting. It's often true for parents, our best plans Whatever we plan ends up in whining, arguing, and fighting. And I think our Heavenly Father has the same experience with us. This amazing plan that he has for us, and now he's contending with us, whining, fighting, and arguing. So today we're looking at a story that Jesus told in Luke 15. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 874, if you'd like to follow along. This story is titled The Prodigal Son, but today I'm calling it The Loving Father. While most of the words in the narrative are about the sons, the whole story centers on the father, goes through the father, and leads to the father. It's a familiar story, so let me just recap it. There's a father who has two sons. The younger one asks for his inheritance, runs off, squanders the money, suffers hunger, comes to his senses, returns to the father for a job. But the father welcomes him with love and complete restoration. The older son is enraged by the return of the younger son, the no good brother, and refuses to celebrate his return. The father goes to the older son to reason with him and ask him to celebrate the return and life of the younger. So the father had a vision for his family to live in joyful relationship. He generously provided for them. The inheritance he wanted to give them was more than land and money, it was love. He wanted his family to live in his extravagant love and then pass that love on to others, even though 
they would sin and hurt each other. Well, let's look at where this parable is situated in the chapter of Luke 15. It's the third of three parables that Jesus told one day when the Pharisees got their feathers ruffled. So looking at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So he tells the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And these stories are about those who wander or get lost and then repent and are found, and the joy of that. And those of us who live in the love of the Father know the joy of repentance. And this story invites us into the joy of repentance for our hard hearts toward our sisters and brothers. We receive a gift of joy and freedom when we forgive. I know from my own life, if I don't forgive, my heart becomes hard, and I'm in peril of a hardness of heart that makes room for bitterness and hatred. So to live into our birthright and our inheritance, we must forgive our brothers and sisters. So let's look at this parable and see the extravagant love of the Father and his invitation to forgive. Based on the text and what we know about the cultural context, I'd like to just put a little flesh on these characters. So let's first start with the father. I imagine when he bought this place for his family, just as if we bought a place for our families, we would hope for the future. He bought this place and he had great hope for the future. He wanted a place to build their lives together, to plant gardens, to gather for meals, and to welcome each new member. The older son had a strong tie to the land because the majority of that land one day would belong to him. So I wonder if he and his dad sat on the porch of an evening, maybe they smoked a pipe, watched the sunset, and the dad waxed eloquent about this beautiful place and bursting with pride for his son. Maybe he would say to his older boy, when I bought this land and I bought this place, it was for you. Do you remember learning to climb that tree? And you helped me build the tree house in that tree. It's not as great as Father Brett's tree house that has a trap door, but you helped me build it. And when your brother was born, you insisted that I bring him outside to show him the tree house and carve his name next to yours over the door. I'm so proud of the way that you've learned to run everything around here. You know how to sow the beans and the tomatoes. You know how to tend the vineyard. And I saw the way you collected and saved the seeds and mapped out your plan for the spring garden. I also noticed that you repaired that leak in the irrigation system, masterful. And all that is wonderful, but honestly, my favorite part is sitting here with you, being together. Maybe it was during this cozy father-son chat that the younger son came up and said to the father, I want my portion of the estate. I'm leaving. Look with me at verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This would have been a real blow to the father. Because the estate would be legally divided at the father's death, it was as if the younger son was saying to him, you're worth more to me dead than alive. Asking for his portion was an ordeal and a legal matter. They didn't have cash, so he would have to sell lands and animals to liquidate his assets. So this rejection was personal, and it was in view of their whole community. It would have been a public source of shame for the whole family. These days, our inheritance, if we have one, is often tucked away in invisible digital savings plans. So it's hard for us to imagine what this was like. It would be as if the father created this incredible, masterful irrigation system that took the water from a deep well at the heart of the estate and drew it underground through uh, pipes out to water the entire place. It was an engineering marvel, and he was proud of it. And the younger son, instead of just walking away from the family, he hacks through the pipes, cuts off the flow of water, digs up his portion of the pipeline, and sells it for cash. His action physically tore at the family property. This rejection was personal and in view of the whole community. So what does this young man do with this money? He goes to a far country, squanders his wealth in reckless living, and he began to be in need. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself, So at one point, he came to himself saying, how did I end up here starving? What am I doing? And he decided to go home. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. When he came home, the father saw him because the father had been waiting and watching. He could hardly believe his eyes. His response was unhinged joy and relief because he knew there were so many barriers, so much shame that could prevent this young man from coming home. So he runs to him. He grabs him. He holds on to him and weeps. Is there any more visceral, physical, emotional way to receive this kid? The ruptured relationship is restored. It's not a stiff and self-protected, like, I'm so glad you're here. But he completely scoops him up. He's held close to his father's body. I think this moment gives us a glimpse of the toll that this rejection took on the father. He had carried constant heaviness and anxiety in his heart for his son. And when he returned, it was instantly lifted and the tears came. When we see the father's anguish relieved, we see the father's love. This moment overflows with love, with all the love languages, its physical touch, its words, its gifts, its being together, all the things. This kid is known by the father 
And the father knows what he needs to feel loved and restored. He grabs him, he holds him, he gives him gifts. I have this friend that if you ask her, what's your love language? She says, whichever one I ain't getting. <laughs> I think that's so true because we want all the love. The father knows how to give love that's needed just right then. And when he goes to the older son, his interaction is different. It isn't effusive and clinging and weeping. It's initiation, reasoning, speaking, and invitation. He goes to the older son the way he needs to receive love. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go back in. So why does he refuse to go in? I wonder if picking up all the pieces left behind by the younger brother, seeing his father hurt, it just stabbed his heart. Initially, he tried to salvage his self-respect and rescue his father from complete humiliation by thinking something like, I'm really going to come through for my father, I'm going to do what my younger brother didn't, and I'm going to work here tirelessly until this memory is long in the past. So the initial motion of his heart in loyalty and rebuilding is good. He threw himself into the work, did everything his father asked, but it does not make this offense a distant memory for him. Bitterness has crept in. The very thing that delighted the heart of the father enrages the brother. He does not take joy at the younger brother's return. He sees disgrace and dishonor walking back in. He sees a man who wants to be bailed out have his consequences lifted. The younger brother's return brings all of this back up for the older brother. It exposes the bitterness that's there. I wonder if he even had a thought that if he got the news that his brother had died, that would actually be a relief because then they could just close the chapter and put it behind them. And he wouldn't have to see his father sitting day after day, waiting and watching at the end of the lane. Thank God the Father did keep watching and did keep loving. The Father saw that the older son was ensnared as well. The Father, in the midst of the celebration feast, notices that the older son isn't there. And he knows this young man's heart. He knows he's angry and hurt, and he probably guesses he's not going to come in. Verse 28, his father came out and entreated him. The father reasons with him, listens to him, and invites him to come in. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. 
we can be really hard on the older son because he's like Mr. Per- Mr. Perfect, pouting because he doesn't get a party. But living in the wake of someone's sin hurts. The father knows what is eating at the heart of his son, and he goes to him. And he gives the chance, the son a chance to say what is breaking him. The older son shoots straight with the father. You welcome this guy who has wrecked our lives, and I have been here all this time. You have not seen me or celebrated me. And this is a temptation that we have. Here I am, God, slaving away for you. I've done everything you've asked, and I don't have the things I want. And look at him. The father said to him, all I have is already yours. He reminds him of the constant provision and love that is his. He invites him to rejoice at the redemption of the son by joining him in forgiveness. The father forgives first. That's the only way we can forgive. Maybe you have experienced tremendous hurt or you have witnessed harm done to a parent, a child, or a friend. Perhaps someone you love not only left the family, but left a path of destruction behind them that brings grief, anger, and shame for the rest of the family. The devastation and pain are real, such that keeping our hearts open to that person can be difficult. But when we harden our hearts, bitterness and hatred can come in. Where is Jesus in this story? Jesus is the author of the story. Jesus is the teller of the story. Jesus is living the story. It's as if he puts his arms around two of his friends and walks on saying, let me tell you a story about a man who had two sons. And with every step, they get closer to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking intentionally toward the cross. Without his journey to Jerusalem, without his death and resurrection, there is no welcome or invitation for either son. Through Jesus, we have this extravagant love that we receive and then pass on to others, even when they hurt us. The Father invites us to forgive those who have hurt us. It's difficult because the deepest wounds come from those that are closest to us, from our family, from our friends, and from our church. There is real damage, real anguish, real heartbreak and devastation. I find myself in a season in which I am sorely tempted to scorn another person. She is doing, what she's doing is painful and destructive to my family. And I smugly think I would never do that. I have all kinds of judgments about her character and her intentions. And if I do not forgive right away, every day, I am in peril. So one of my Lenten practices of engagement is to forgive and ask God's overflowing blessing on her every day. 
Is there someone who has done real damage, perhaps public damage to you or your family? And has it been an opening for bitterness? Do you find yourself out in the field, unwilling to come in, having unforgiveness toward a brother or sister? Right there in the field, the Father is coming to you. He invites you to talk to him about it. And his extravagant love invites you to forgive and come in. So, Lord, we just ask now for an outpouring of your extravagant love. Have mercy on us and forgive us where we have failed you and others. Come, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and deliver us from bitterness as we forgive. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.